Hello and welcome to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dangler. Before we start, I just want to encourage those of you who coach in the state of Iowa to join the IBCA this season. As a member, in addition to a $2 million insurance policy for your staff, you'll also get access to our Coaches Corner and Lucio Whiteboard. Your team will become eligible for either all region or all state awards and much more. If you're interested, go to our website's link, which should be included in the description below if you have any questions or need more information. All right, let's get to the show. Okay, today joining us is Michael Molis. Coach, uh, happy to have you on today. Um, I'll just go ahead and let you introduce yourself and what position you currently hold. Hey, thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, Michael Molis. I'm currently the head basketball coach in Owine, um, Northeast Iowa, and I'm also a head basketball coach of the Cedar Valley Court Kings, a minor league team. Awesome. Excited to talk about that um, experience with the Court Kings and then your experience at the high school level. But first, uh, let's get started with some couple of goofier questions here uh, to get going here, get to know you a little bit. Um, my first question, if, you, if we walked into the gym right now and we had to do some sort of basketball related skill and we we're going to play one-on-one -on -one and we're going to play for $5,000 what would be the thing you would want me to challenge you in like what are you most confident you would beat anybody else in what skill shooting free shooting. throws three pointers maybe it's dribbling you let me know I would say uh shooting definitely like shooting if we're going to get in I mean obviously I don't want to warm up or whatever form shoot but I'm definitely shooting three point shots. All right. Well, you're going to take me easy. I'm a horrible shooter. So that's a good against me. You're good to go. All right. Next question. Throwing the hot ones at you. Who are your top three favorite basketball players of all time with the caveat of my mother cannot know who they are. So they can't be super famous guys and they cannot be anybody you're related to or have coached. All right. Can't have coached them. Not related to them. Mom can't know who they are. Who's your top three guys? Three. Hmm. This is a stumper, man. This gets everybody. All right. So no pressure. You got time. Don't worry about it. All right. Yeah. Give me a minute to think about this because can't let your mom. Hopefully your mom doesn't know any of them. Um, I'm going to go number one, but in no order, but number one, AC Law. Oh, that's that's classic, man. Okay. I jumped on the AC Law bandwagon with uh, A&M in college. I loved watching him on his, his little run that he had. Um, so I'm going to go with him, AC Law. I'm going to go uh, – second one I'm going to go with is – we're going to go with Reggie Evans. Reggie Evans, all right. I feel like she might know him, but – uh, I met him at when I was a kid at Iowa basketball camp. So uh, met him and saw him play and all that stuff. So kind of fun to watch. And he's kind of a, a Hawkeye or whatever. But also, I like, I like this mo because we're we're about the same age. And so these are guys like I know I know, but I feel like you get about now Reggie Evans in the state, obviously. But AC Law, you get like five years either way. Like people are gonna be like, who is AC Law? I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That was, yeah, that was a big knuckleball to start. Uh, I guess third, a third one. Third's always the toughest. Yeah, third is tough. Uh, I would go 
this is usually when somebody throws out someone who's too famous. Like they're like, oh, this is Scottie Pippen's time, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think my mom maybe knows that person. So yeah, you can do whatever you want. I don't want to put too much pressure on you. Yeah, obviously like, you know, I was a big Jordan and Allen Iverson guy, but those are two, two famous guys that I don't want to throw out. Um, but I guess third one, I'm going to go, go with, uh, JJ Redick. Oh, JJ Redick. Sure. There you go. Yeah. Why, what, what's what red, why Redick? Why does he stick out to you? He's kind of so, a hated guy. Nothing with Duke big time hated, but I'm a Sixers <laughs> guy. So I'm 76ers. Um, and I'm a shooter. So the combination of loving good shooters, somebody that's not super famous, but he had a really long career. I, like I, almost, went, I almost went Kyle Korver, but Same I felt with the Iowa local ties, she might know that. So Same kind of style, though. I see where you're yeah. going. There. I like it. Yeah. I really – AC Law, I got a feeling like you're going to be the only person to say that. I asked everybody this question. I really like that. Yeah, right. honestly, Hitler, I didn't even know if – I didn't even know if he – how far he went even professionally, but – yeah. You know, I'll tell you this. My mom has no idea who AC Law is for sure. All right. Favorite, favorite team of all time, non-coach, non-played for team. So you can't have played or coached this team. Uh, And I'm looking if you can give me like about a year, like a year, like a season you can kind of remember. Um, What would be sort of your favorite team that sticks out to you in your memory? I Knowing you a little bit, coach, I got a feeling we're going to be, I got a similar team. That's what I'm guessing right now. Yeah, obviously uh, the the you and I 2010 Kansas run. That's, right. that's the right answer. Good job. That's the right answer. That's I mean that's got to be number one college team. I mean they they had a couple really good runs after, but going to you and I with you know with you two, uh, that was a a special run. So I'd have to go with them. Absolutely. All right, this is my last one before we jump into your background a little bit. Kind of ties us over in there. Um, What's your, like, so basketball, I know since I played high school ball, it's definitely changed a lot since now as a coach. What's something that you um, really miss about the way basketball was played, either watching it as a fan or even playing or coaching it? What's something maybe you miss from, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Um, I would say, like, the biggest change in the game now is, you know, the style of play and everything that's changed. I think, like, almost the toughness factor is something that would be big and different, you know, now the way they call the game, you know, I mean, is a lot different than it was, you know, when we came up and even before our time, it was, you know, those late eighties, early nineties teams that we've, you know, seen a little bit of, I mean, that's just tough nosed basketball. I mean, they, they were assaulting each other and whatnot out there and, it was just called a little bit different. So I'd say that's probably the biggest change or something that's different and um, just have to get used to as a coach, you know, how they call a game. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I definitely don't know if I feel like that's like uh, – that's a pretty common answer that I've heard so far. And I definitely don't know if I really feel like that's worse or better, um, you know, even as a fan watching some freedom. But I can just think like the mentality of like even going to basketball camps when I was a kid to some of the ones I've been more – like. We, you just did defensive slides for like half the camp, you know, or you're just like grinding away at some of those things. And now certainly defense, there's some great coaches out there defensively and do that stuff. But I feel like that shift has occurred at least a little bit where we're going to maybe work a little bit more on those skills and things. Um, anything you like that's changed, you know, so maybe the game's a little bit more wide open. What pieces do you, you enjoy coaching now? 
Uh, I would say, no. I mean, really kind of countering that. Like, I love the freedom offensively, like playing with a lot of pace, space, um, fast break, you know, that type of system. Um, you know, kind of similar to the spread offense in football where it kind of really changed the game. You know, nowadays teams are four or five out a lot of times and their bigs can pick and pop and do so many different things. You know, it's you got to have talented guys um, that can do a lot of different things instead of specializing. I'm a back to the basket post player. You know, they yeah. might have to put it on the floor. They might have to ball screen roll in, ball screen pop. I mean, there's there's so many things that are different now. But with that freedom comes a lot of um, a lot of things coaches can take and go with. And I think that's big because. I like the idea of thinking about the offensive side of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's a pretty common one where we just talk about guys being a little bit more skilled, you know, at least on the perimeter. Certainly in, on the block, maybe we don't see that as consistently anymore, but um, definitely that being able to put it on the floor and do some things off the dribble is different. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Thanks for playing along with those questions. That top three, that gets everybody, you know, when I say my mom can't know them. Um, <laughs> So, Coach, currently the, the head boys coach at O-Line. Uh, maybe you could describe your journey, um, even going all the way back to your playing days, to get to this position. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually from O-Line, so I grew up, came through the system there, um, got through high school, ended up going to UNI, um, stayed around the game a little bit through UNI, studied the game, wanted to become a teacher and a coach, and then – I did a practicum for a year in like 2011-12 under Coach Tom Bardall um, at Cedar Falls. So I kind of stayed on and coached an entire year there, just tried to learn from him, learn from Coach Schultz, um, two really, really good minds, basketball minds, obviously. Cedar Falls just had a lot of success lately. Um, but learned a lot from those guys. From there, it led me to um, being back in the area – in O-line and as I was still in college I was able to become the freshman coach there in 2012-2013 and then I kind of just worked my way up from there Um, so kind of special my first year was my brother's senior year so I got to coach him which was a little different and unique but um, pretty important to me uh, that I was able to do that um and now I've just kind of moved up the ranks, I guess, as a freshman coach, got promoted a couple of years later um, to JV, to varsity assistant type thing. And um, now in a position that I took over the head job. Awesome, Coach. Happy to hear about your success, especially in your hometown with your family. Being able to do some of that stuff is fantastic. Uh, who are some of the guys who, uh, who are big coaching influences for you that uh, maybe help be part of the reason you've gotten into this, this side of the game? Oh, yeah. When I was growing up, I mean, uh, I played football for a little bit, but baseball and basketball, and I I liked my coaches and learned from them a lot. Um, Guys like Steve Sanders, legendary baseball coach um, at the time. Even Jim Yokus, football coach, learned from him growing up, becoming a PE teacher. Um, And then my high school coach was Kyle Hawk and learned a lot from him. And then as I went in and got into coaching, you know, with Tom Bardall and uh, Nick Schaff, I was under for my tenure before I took over as a head coach. So learned a lot from those guys. And then um, even just friends and, and people I know, I've just taken any nuggets and bits of pieces information I can 
um, whether it's a coach's clinic or whatever it may be. Is there anything, Coach, maybe other than X's and O's, that some of those coaching influences that you watched and really have just stuck with you and you hope that you can emulate now coming into a, being a head coach? Uh, yeah, I think you just kind of take a little bit of um, – a little bit of everything from, from somebody, you know, you find, find little pieces of information, you know, uh, coach Bardal was a guy I was with for a year and he was so, so good mentally thinking about the X's and O's part, you know, coach Shaw's a really good fundamental guy. He'd been to snow Valley is an annual guy there at snow Valley. And, um, so I think you just learn a little bit from a coach here and there, and then you just kind of package that into your own style of teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to hear so many great experiences. Uh, one thing definitely wanted to ask you about, um, like you mentioned up top, uh, you coach a semi-pro basketball team, the Court Kings out of um, uh, Cedar Valley. Uh, maybe you could speak to a little bit about how you came to have that position um, and what that position was like and what it's meant to you. Uh, yeah, so my my brother was actually a junior or senior in college and playing at University of Dubuque and with his business degree he needed to do like a sports marketing management type um, internship so he asked me about um, Gary Rima and this team he is he got going and uh, had me help him get his information you know not thinking about the time if they had any coaching spots open or thinking much about that but um, my brother called Gary and and Gary uh was more than ha happy to help him and then he also asked him he's like hey does your your brother uh your brother interested at all in being an assistant coach for this next year and thought about it a little bit and talked with Gary and um it's a spring summer season kind of a lot of weekends um and we play right out of Waterloo so it was an easy drive I got on the first year in 2016 as an assistant coach under Stan Hughes um and Learned a lot from from Stan. Uh, we went on. We we had a pretty successful year. Went thirteen and four. Won the title of the Midwest Basketball League. But um, after that, coming into the next year in like early February, Stan had a surgery, and he ended up having a stroke. Um, and Gary knew that he wasn't going to be able to start the season. Um, I had learned his system, the stuff he liked to do. Um, we kind of thought at the time it might only be a month or so and he'd be back. So Gary kind of had two options, you know, try to find a head coach um, or promote from within and then see if Stan could make it back. Um, we got to a few few months in and Stan wasn't ready to come back yet. We were 10-0. Things were kind of rolling. And uh, Gary ended up promoting me to the head guy. Um, and then we had a, we ended up having a really good, good season that year went undefeated, um, which is, was extremely tough to do, but I was pretty blessed with, with a great, great, uh, great team to work with and some great individuals. And then from there, it's just kind of been, um, the next few years I've been back at it and staying with it. Uh, so obviously coach, you're, you're going to you and I getting your uh, teaching stuff, working with younger kids for the most part. And now all of a sudden you're getting this experience with guys who are your same age or older, uh, playing in a semi-professional basketball league. Uh, what was that experience like to, to go from working with younger kids to now I'm working with guys who've been playing ball their whole life? Um, yeah, I mean, I think initially, like, 
I definitely became a better coach after the year we went undefeated. Like we went undefeated and whatever, but the next years after that, I, I learned a lot. Um, I was pretty fortunate that during that 20, 2017 year, we had brought back a couple guys. Um, Anthony James was one, played at UNI, um, and he was right around my age. Andre Hicks is another guy that was a little bit older than me on that team um, my first year, but both were pretty good captains and leaders. And then we had a guy named Eric Coleman as well that played for us from UNI, and he was – I mean, I, I was in high school and he was in college, so um, that, was, that was something that I knew going in was going to be – potentially an issue um but at the end of the day it's still kind of coaching basketball you know and if you have if your leaders are the guys that respect if they're respecting you and and saying this is the way we're going um good things happen so pretty fortunate that we had three really good leaders the first year that stepped in and and uh led the way for us a little bit um and you know credit to all the guys like they didn't really see the age as an issue. They, they did a good job respecting me as a coach. And um, even though we're being young, I was, I was pretty young at the time, uh, they, they did a good job. And, you know, I tried to keep things pretty light with them. And um, at the same time, it's, I mean, it's still kind of just basketball, you know, it's your, your coaching. They knew I was putting in some European stuff, some NBA stuff, um, some things that could translate to them as they move on in their career um so those three guys you've kind of spoken to uh as leaders on that team I'm kind of interested to what would you say were some of the things they did um that helped give you guys some of the success that you had and and, and yourself ha have a chance to have some success as a young coach uh yeah so so AJ is a guy that he doesn't talk that much but he was a leader just just by his energy and his effort at times you know um, there'd be times in games where he just went to another level, you know? Um, so, and then when he did talk, people respected him and listened. Andre was always a focal leader. His first year, he was kind of that eighth, ninth, 10th guy type of thing. Kind of had to work his way in, beat some guys out, um, and just earn a spot. So he kind of knew that hard work aspect. Um, but he was also a, a vocal leader for us. Coleman, everyone, I mean, respected so much as a player that, and he's been throughout the world playing basketball that they knew he, he knew his stuff. Um, so those three guys all led in different ways, um, but it was good to have different voices at times uh, to lead. So, I mean, there, there'd be times in practice, I mean, we weren't maybe that sharp or whatever. I wouldn't even have to say something. Sometimes they would take control and be, be able to say, Hey, this isn't good enough. Let's get down to 20 push-ups, get back in the drill. So things like that, that, you know, before a coach has to stop it, the players know the, the expectation level and where we need to be. Um, and if your leaders know that, they, they uh, can help provide that within the team that it's not just the coach every time getting on them. Yeah, that's tremendous to hear. Kind of neat to hear about the different styles. Each, each three kind of having a little bit different of an avenue to do that. Um, it kind of leads me to my next question would be, so obviously it's a semi-pro team, um, but guys who've made basketball a part of their life and have had a chance to play and make some money after college is over and obviously some great success at the college level. What would be some of the things you saw from those guys 
that you would impress upon some young kids who want to make basketball a part of their future? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. And to be honest, like what I've seen from the high school level compared to the court Kings, you know, these guys all played college basketball somewhere and whatnot. Um, but there's a lot of similarities, you know, just a short list. I mean, the time and effort you put in, the discipline, being coachable, um, those things really stick out. The commitment level, um, even with the, the team we've had, we've seen a big variety of things where some guys might put in more time and effort. You know, some guys might be pretty talented, but maybe they show up late. You know, even even there, we, we would see that. Um, but the guys that kind of put in the time on their own, as well as were coachable, they stayed disciplined. Um, those are the things that really led to good things. And, and as they want to advance up, advance up their career, you know, high school kid might be trying to get to college to play, or maybe it's a freshman kid trying to get up to the varsity level. Yep. Um, it's, it's that accountability aspect, you know, I mean, if they can be disciplined at what they do, be coachable, put in some time and effort to get better at their craft and be committed to the team. I mean, that's huge. And the guys that, you know, we've seen guys that haven't had that success as much, but they might not put in that as much time. They might not be as disciplined at their craft, um, you know, and for whatever re reason, the guys that we've had that, you know, have been four-year guys in college, three, four years, whatever, um, you know, they might have played four years, but even if it's they transferred, those, those are the type of guys that know the discipline and what it takes to get to the level they want to go. You know, sometimes guys that um, maybe don't put in a couple, only put in a couple of years seem to, you know, sometimes it, they just don't know that level of the daily habits that it takes, you know. Um, and it's, it's kind of evident there, but I think it's the same thing with, with high school players, you know. How many kids are going to make 10,000 shots this summer? you know, or whatever it might be, work on their offhand, you know, dribbling-wise. Um, the ones that can stay dedicated to their craft are the ones that you'll see the big, big uh, strides in their game. So, I mean, biggest thing is just, like I said, that that discipline aspect and, and improving in their, their craft um, and being dedicated to it. Yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. No magical recipe. It doesn't sound like, but um, need to hear those guys that you know and come in and aren't concerned. Maybe a younger guy is their coach, or you know, this is just kind of something to, to wink at or whatever, and not worry about. They just come in and, and do the right thing. So neat to hear. Um, yeah. Well, coach, um, I think we'll take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit of uh, transition basketball. All right, coach, uh, we'll jump in and talk a little transition here. Uh, both of us like to have some teams, and we've talked before off the podcast of getting out and running. Um, so I'll just start with what's kind of been your overall philosophy uh, when you're coaching transition basketball? Uh, yeah, coach, I think my biggest or my overall philosophy is just the fact of, of trying to get the ball out, whether it's on a made shot, miss, rebound, outlet, push pace. Um, and, and try to take advantage as, as I think you can steal maybe a few points, you know, a game in that transition aspect um, when teams are slow in transition or whatnot. 
um, it's a it's a tough part to be really good in defensive transition. So um, offensively, if we can steal some some points every game by by running, getting out and going, uh, I think that's really important. You know, um, doesn't have to be a set break. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but having a system in place that you can push pace and you get your guys out and going is crucial. Absolutely. All right. So let's look into the game and ball goes up. You guys are on defense. Uh, big goes up for you guys, gets the rebound and turns to outlet the ball. What are the things you want to see your team do within that moment where the balls change possession? Um, so if it's a, you know, a big, if it's a guy that's not going to bring it up, um, you know, something with like, teams I've coached, you might have a couple guys that can just bring it up. You know, if it's a guy that rebounds, if he can bring it up in your transition and you can be interchangeable, I think that's huge. Yep. Um, you know, um, but at the high school level, you're not fortunate all the time to have that. So you might have to outlet. Um, so if it is an outlet like that, I want my one, my point guard getting open, sweeping through to get the ball. Um, my other guys, other three guys that don't rebound, they should be out. Two of them running like two, three, you know, wings, get to the corners, um, and they're sprinting. Um, in that outlet zone, though, I, I, I like to teach uh, some Mike Neighbors stuff. Um, I think he's – a couple things he did were really awesome with it. The first part is like the zones. So the point guard has to get the outlet um, in the outlet zone, which would be um, top of the key and in. So his job is to get open away from a defender and get the, get the ball – um, inside that three-point line. The next part, as, as uh, guys are running, they just should sprint. They shouldn't look back. Um, they're trying to get all the way to the action zone, which is on the far end, top of the key. Um, and then in the middle, top, top of the key to the top of the key would be the decision zone. So that's kind of that middle part. Uh, my point guard needs to get the ball, get to that decision zone, and then that's where he's going to make a decision where wherever he's going to pass it, you know, up a up a up the street to a wing, you know, across to the other wing, or over the top to the the big that the other big that's running. Um, but the big thing I think is those three that get out and run, um, other than the point guard and trail man, they should just turn and sprint. Their first three steps are crucial, um, and they shouldn't even look back. We we teach it so they they won't look back until they get to the top of the key. So. Okay, I'm just pausing here. Are you froze on your screen? Okay. Uh, I wasn't, but my internet just said it's unstable for some reason. Let me write down what time this is. We'll just, I pause just so I could cut it out easily. So it won't even. Yeah. All right, that was good. Okay, I'll jump right back in. Um, talking about the zone, etc. Okay. Okay, so you got your zones coach um, making decisions. Where are you telling your uh, big guys to run, the one who's not rebounding it? Is he sprinting down to the hoop and we're trying to look, our first look is the rim runner, trying to get a seal there? Uh, what maybe are the reads for your point guard as they cross into that decision mode? Decision zone, excuse me. Yeah, as my point guard gets to that decision zone, um, the, the other big that gets out ahead first should rim run. Um, you're looking over the top. Um, it's a tight window, but if, if it is there, you can throw it. He'll get to the top of the key, three-point line, look back. Um, you can also throw it ahead to any of your wings towards the corner. Uh, once again, that's inside the three-point line when they will look back. 
Um, and then you could enter it that way too. If you go up the street to a wing and throw it into the big, if he can get a seal, um, it's crucial that you teach the point guard. Like it's, it's definitely their fault if they throw a ball and hit a wing at the half court line, cause he's not looking back. So, um, his, their jobs are run at the three point line. Look back. The, the point guard has to make that decision. You put a lot of trust in them, which a lot of coaches obviously do. Um, but they need to make an on-time pass so then the, the wing can catch it ready to shoot, you know. So um, that's kind of the basic system that I like. And Coach Neighbors explains it really good. You can find his stuff on, on YouTube and, and things like that. But um, we try to stress those guys to, to win their race. Um, that's another Mike Neighbors thing. Uh, go win your race. You're trying to sprint ahead and get ahead of your defender, guy guarding you. Um, and if you can, I think good things will happen. What do you feel like when you guys have tried to get out and run a little bit? Are maybe the biggest holdups for you or biggest challenges to try and uh, overcome? Um, you know, I mean, honestly, it's it's about getting stops. If you can get stops and, yep. and get um, teams that are missing shots, you know, they might send some to the boards, whatever. You got to get that initial rebound, but – on makes and things like that, it's it's tough to get a one two three out, um, quick outlet and throw it ahead. A lot of times, it's 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 tough to do that. So, um, it's, you know, once again, starts on the defensive end. If you can get some stops, that's that makes it easier to to rebound it, outlet, and get it out. You know, I think I think it's it's pretty black and white when you when you tell a guy, you know, the the two three and maybe five man that runs. If you don't win your race, you know, if you get beat twice in a row, you're out. Um, it's pretty black and white that way. So a lot of times you can teach guys to, to sprint ahead and win that race. Um, but I think the toughest part is, is that outlet, you know, and what that looks like. I know on our team, been fortunate to have a young man uh, gets most of our rebounds, but is also a tremendous outletter. I mean, you know, can get the ball and go. And I wish I could say it's something we've taught him, but it's something that um, it's been pretty natural to him that really has jump-started when we've had success with the break. Uh, is there any things you work on specifically to try and get the ball down the floor, like in practice? Maybe what drills are you doing to try and play with that pace? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've done a few things. Um, I mean, just working on some partner fast break stuff where you're getting the ball out and, and teaching your guys to – to pivot the right way, don't pivot into a defender, that type of thing. Um, throwing it through the net, having a guy get it out of the net, one, two, three steps out, and then the, the ball's out um, is a good one to practice on five on O's type stuff. Um, and then just just anytime you do stop, score, stop drill, drills like that, those are, those are some things that um, you just really need to emphasize in your practice if you want to run um, is – getting the ball out quick. Your other guys that aren't outlet guys, no, no reason to wait, get out and run. Um, and I, th I think just putting a heavy emphasis on it is crucial, and especially if you're going up and down at all, you know, towards the end of a practice. Those are the types of things when you need to really emphasize it. Um, Coach, I heard you say one, two, three, and then get it out. Can you maybe clarify what you mean by that, with that count, what that, what that instruction is to your players? Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty big believer. If you if you have a guy that, you know, a lot of people set set a certain person, your four or five man to take the ball out, um, 
they only need three to four steps from the net to get out of bounds to get rid of the ball. Okay. You know? um, sometimes I think high school kids don't maximize that. They might get the ball and then they fumble it around and, you know, they take a couple steps out and take some five, six steps. If they take three steps, they should be able to get rid of that ball out as long as your point guard can get in a position to sweep through and, and get that outlet. Absolutely. I just wanted to clarify, that's a really good point of, you know, how quick you can get that ball out of the net and get down and go. I know you talked about earlier uh, that it's, it's definitely harder to transition off when the other team's making shots. But I know one emphasis for us has been sometimes the guy makes that shot, you know, and they kind of want to look around and let everybody know they made that shot. We really emphasize we want to go, like you're saying, one, two, three, and feel like we've got, been able to get out ahead sometimes off of even made shots um, that way that's been sort of an advantage to us. Um, but a lot of times off that stuff, we're going to kind of flow into action. So let's say you guys get down the, the floor a little bit. Wing wasn't open. Big wasn't open. What's sort of the next step for you guys most of the time? Um, yeah, most of the time we'll get into just some early transition stuff um, and kind of try to get into a flow. I mean, we have a few different actions that we'll, we'll put in to go in transition um, some reads to make where guys have to kind of just play basketball through it, um, through the system, um, but they'll flow right into it. You know, if we can, if our point guard can throw it ahead to a wing and nothing's open, I'd rather have that wing throw it back to the point guard and then we get into the, our flow, you know. So even, even if we throw it ahead and we don't have a shot, a rip attack, a duck in by a post, I mean, we can still kick it back and, and then play through our system. So trying not to dribble it ahead. I think is a lot of high school point guards sometimes want to do that. Um, get the ball and throw it ahead if you can, you know. Um, so that's huge. But then we, we try to get into some flow. We do some pistol stuff. Um, but it just kind of depends on the, on the system. Um, but I like having having a little flow. It won't be anything set, you know. Some teams like, like having a set transition break, secondary transition, you know, whatever it might be. But um, – We'll have a few different calls, I think, and, and go from there. What, um, Coach, uh, what are you talking to with your point guard so they're not dribbling it ahead? Maybe what are the reads that they're trying? We talked a little bit about that already, but what are the things you're trying to get across to them so they're playing fast, but they're also not turning the ball over a ton? Yeah, I like how you said that, you know, playing fast without turning the ball over. Uh, I'm sure you've seen some neighbors stuff. Uh, Mike Neighbors emphasizes that a lot. Like, you know, they play pretty fast, but they also are under control. Um, and, and with the point guard, it's, it's huge. So it's, it comes back to that, that outlet zone, get the ball in that zone quick. You know, from the top of the key to the top of the key, that's your decision zone. So you should be able to get the ball in the outlet zone, take two to three dribbles. You know, and that's kind of a point of emphasis. Two to three, head, eyes up, looking for those reads of over the top, up the street, cross the street. Um, and then you can always do stuff with your trail man, you know, drag screen, whatever it might be. Kick back to him, you know, like Villanova, or um, not Villanova, but yeah, Villanova did on that, that last second shot. Um, but that that's kind of the base read is they have to make is, about by half court, they should be able to throw the ball up if it, if it's there, you know. So it's it's a two to three dribble. If they take that extra dribble, now it's too late. The defense is there, or maybe you know whatever might happen. Yeah, even so, I'm 
I know that's been an area for us and been fortunate to have a really good guard who can make some really good decisions there, but can also be a challenge. I know too, especially the younger levels where they want to take that extra bounce. Um, but also the issue of they catch it and um, they want to two things. They want to bounce it right away and they bounce it right into a defender without knowing someone's there uh, or they catch in square and they wait so long that it seems like everybody's already set back. Is there anything you feel like in that moment that, catch and turn that you're trying to emphasize even with your point guard yeah I mean I think the point guard you just you, you got to be really heady and um understanding before you catch the ball you know you need to understand where defenders are and things like that so I think I see it a lot with those you know younger levels inexperienced guards whatever um a lot of times they just catch and turn and there's somebody there I didn't but, you know those more experienced guys are their head's on a swivel and they know where defenders are. They can catch it. They're making quicker reads. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just a, it's a rep thing, I think, um, of understanding catch. You got to, as you turn, you need to see where defenders are and things like that. But um, the more reps they get with it is crucial. So, you, you know, you might do a two on oh, three on oh, fast break type drill and work on that outlet. Maybe you, you as a coach or a manager or some, you know, player jumps in and tries to steal the ball there. Yep. So you can rep it, but I think, you know, repetitions is crucial for the, those types of things. Yeah, some of it's on that outlet passer, too, to identify if the guard's coming across the open or anything like that. Um, yeah. I see this question just because of your experience with the court kings. Um, specific to transition, what's maybe the biggest things you notice – in terms of differences between the older guys and our high school players? I mean, obviously, I mean, they're faster, more advanced players. You know, that's like a pro probably a pretty common thing. You know, I mean, they're, at, you know, past college. So the speed of the game is different. Um, but I think with their strength and speed, you know, we've we've been pretty fortunate where, we can get the ball out of the net or on a miss and we can just get out and go, you know? So we really emphasize that on, on that aspect of trying to play fast under control. Um, but on the same breath, you know, sometimes we don't throw it ahead when we need to, you know, sometimes we lollygag up and, yeah. and bring it up. So even at that level, you know, we, we still have those coaching things of get the ball out, get to your, your uh, outlet or your uh, decision zone and throw it ahead. You know, if we can throw it ahead, a lot of times good things happen. Got to trust your teammates. So I think just the, the, the biggest thing there is just the, the speed of play is, is so much more um, where, like you said, you have a pretty good guard. You can get it, throw it ahead. You know, we've scored on maybe one bounce, maybe even no, no dribbles before, you know, just get ahead of the, those other teams, you know, they might, make their shot and backpedal back, we can get out and run and get ahead of them. Um, in transition, you guys are getting out, whether it's high school or pros, you know, obviously you're going to want to take layups. What other shots are you looking for to take in transition before you'd rather say, ah, oh, that wasn't a good one. Let's, we should have come back, maybe just run the offense a little bit there. What kind of shots are you guys looking for? I mean, I'd, I'd say the biggest thing is, is trying to get catch and shoot threes in transition um or attacking attacking the basket trying to get to the rim draw a foul 
those types of things. You know, if we can, if we can get to the rim and, and make something happen, great. Um, but we don't want to settle for some sort of mid-range jump shot, pull up off the bounce stuff. Um, you know, Anthony James is a guy that he'll get it and sometimes throwing a head to him early or something for whatever reason, but he might just dribble into a three. You know, some of those more experienced guys at that level, he was he was really good. He'd, he'd dribble off and instead of attacking a guy one-on-one, -on -one, he might just pull a three. He was pretty successful doing that, but something I didn't really teach too much. And at the, at the high school level, you know, even though a three is better than a one-on-one -on -one to the basket, you know, we're probably going to try to take that one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, it definitely depends who your guy is, too, if they come down and pull the three up. I'm, um, I'm sure with Trey that you could, you could show that one to Trey because he might not do that. Uh, one of the things I always like to ask, Coach, just since most of us got high school experience and are working with some of the youth kids in our program, what would be some of the ways that you think um, could envision being successful teaching transition to young kids? Um, I think whatever you do, you know, at the high school level, I think you can use at that lower level. Now you might not use the entire thing, you know, or your entire base offense or defense or whatever it could be. But I think it's important to teach those foundational level things to them, you know, for, for us, you know, being like in that functional fast system from neighbors, teaching that outlet zone to decision zone to action zone. You know, if they understood that and if they understand when you race every time, you know, a lot of times at that youth, you, you might see kids all want to turn around and try to get that outlet. You know, maybe you have a specific set point guard that brings it up, or maybe the guy that rebounds just brings it up every time. And at that youth level, depending on what you want to do. I mean, I'm big on trying to get five guys that can all handle it and bring it up and things like that. Cause I think that translates to better basketball for you at the high school level. Um, you know, but if there's a guy that can't bring it up, maybe you've got a set, set guy, but once again, win those, win that race and you can show them the zones to run through, you know, we're running the corner, corner, rim run, point guard brings it up one side, trail man goes up the other side. So, um, they could understand those zones, the zones of the decisions that are made, and then the, the big thing of winning your race. So Absolutely. I'd say those, those are the three things we would do. Yeah, I like the winning your race part. One, because I think young kids could really relate to that and would really like that. And two, it's just that, you know, the one thing that's come up consistently is can you get the kids to play really, really hard, you know, and that's a piece of that um, and learning to do that when they're young of, um, just having fun, but playing hard and playing as fast as they can. Uh, great to have you on, Coach. I look forward to talking with you in the future. Um, and just want to thank you again for coming on. Yeah, Derek, really appreciate what you're doing and uh, appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening. As always, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and try and give us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast at. I think it'll help boost us up and get, make us available for others to listen. And then please share with anybody who you think might be interested as well. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us today.